Welcome to the Sylvan Horn, the podcast with the latest and greatest D&D news brought to you from the multiverse finest tavern. Your wonderful hosts are Nilo and Justin. So let them take it from here and I'll have one of our pixies fix your table. Well, thank you very much, Merkin. Here with me is the wonderful Justin. And I'm just glad that we're here and glad that we're talking about D&D. So tell them a little about yourself, Nilo. Um, well, I'm a man who likes many things, but one of those things specifically includes role-playing in the, you know, safe-for-work variety and not safe-for-work. All on top of, I love D&D, and I combine those together to be a DM now for over 15 years, sort of a veteran of things, and I run two uh, games every single week and whatnot, and I'm actually rather knowledgeable on this topic and thought we could share something with the community, you know, with this podcast. And how about you, Justin? Yeah, a, a lot of the same. Um, love role-playing, love playing D&D. I haven't been playing as long as you have. You know, I was one of those guys that was interested as a kid but never had anybody that was playing. So I've been playing right around the since right around the time 5e came out. Yeah, that's crazy because, you know, when I had originally started, it was all on the, on the cusp or the very end, I guess, of second edition going into third. I played second edition here and there, and I just really loved it because of all of its... Well, its rules were so like in such a variety, but as soon as I had learned it, I, you know, three point five came out, and then like everyone was talking about that, and I jumped on that bandwagon, and then that's just where I lived for a long, long, long time, um, and then I stopped a little bit for four because I I wasn't a big fan of it, and the transition just felt like it was one of those ugly changes, you know, ugly periods of life are changing, nothing makes sense, um, and I just kind of did my own thing, wrote my own stories, played my own game. And then jumped onto 5e when it came out, and I've loved it ever since. So, yeah, yeah. that's crazy evolution, but you didn't miss too terribly much. Well, that's interesting because I've never played anything but um, Advanced and 5e because I had a group that I was playing with a few years ago that was still playing, you mean, old school Advanced D&D. First edition. First edition. And it was really cool stuff, and we had a lot of fun with it. But I love 5e. I think it just leans into the storytelling and leans into the role playing so much more And it. I'm an old theater major. And so it gives me that opportunity to play characters and to dive into that world in on a weekly basis, which I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. I think that's why we get along a lot too, because my big focus is specifically on the storytelling aspect, the playing characters and getting into it more of the improv variety, but just role playing and role playing at it's essential is just, you know, telling the stories of any character you can imagine the story of, um, and also just having these interactions in a fantasy world that otherwise would have never happened. Um, yeah, no, I'm all about that. I didn't get a chance to be, you know, becoming a theater major of the variety. Um, mainly said did my own thing during college, uh, including dropping out eventually to start my own businesses. But because of that, I always wanted to. Yeah. But instead, I just for 15 years lived through D&D. So in a way, I'm a major of that variety of theater major. Um, but I can't say I have any paperwork to show it. And so one of the things I'm excited about with the podcast is talking about the campaign that you're DMing that I'm playing in talking about the other campaign that you're doing and some other things that I'm doing, because I haven't had an in-person campaign now since the beginning of the pandemic, but you know, you and I are always finding and talking about different things we're picking up, whether it's things that we want to use as players, things that we want to use as DMs and, you know, whether we're talking as we're going to today about 
some of the official books that are coming out or we're talking about things from the DMs Guild or talking about the minis that we're buying and the terrain that we're buying and all of these things. I think it's it's great to be able to share how we're using the stuff that's out there in the world of D&D and of tabletop RPGs all together and give some people some tips on how to use that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, uh, specifically like between our different you know backgrounds and our own experiences, there's always a lot of things that each other kind of bring to these conversations that, you know, I always find it inspiring to see how you're using it and hopefully, you know, vice versa, Absolutely. Um, as well as with our, you know, our overlapping with one of my weekend games and then uh, me, you know, kind of just dropping notes about what's happening in the other one. But I know that goes further to eventually, you know, giving more of a breakdown of that one, because I think there's a lot of things in there you would like quite a bit. Um, but when it comes like, yeah, to our Sunday game, um, I think it's going great. And I, I definitely have a lot on there. I, I've always wanted to talk to somebody about because I, I don't right. have many outlets on that front. And so every DM always wants to share everything they've come up with. But most DMs who are running an active game are hesitant to do so because what if one of the players learn about it? Right. Well, you will kind of inherently have some peek behind the veils along with the community as to like my thoughts on things and like what I tried to do, which hopefully isn't too metagaming or spoiling for you. But I do think it'll help to enrich that experience ultimately, um, as well as hopefully maybe make things a bit easier or interesting in a way for your own games. Maybe there's a takeaway. Absolutely. And so I think this is going to be great to talk about the game that we're doing together, the games that we're doing separately, and all of the stuff that comes into that. Both of us have been DMs, both of us have been players, and we've, you've DM'd for me and I have played alongside you as a player. I haven't DM'd for you yet, but at some point that'll happen down the line. I can't wait. (laughs) And so we've got all of these different things to kind of talk about. And I just really have, we've been talking about this for a while. We've been excited about doing this and finally just said, okay, we have to make the time to do it. And so I'm excited about coming in and sharing. So the first thing that I think we should talk about are these three new books. A couple of them we've known about for a while, but all three were, we were given a lot more information at D&D Live last weekend. So I think we just jump in and start talking about our three new books that are coming out in the fall. What better place to start than, of course, on all the new content we're going to get for uh, 5th edition, Um, especially when it's around the things we always wanted content on, which, of course, dragons, it's in the title, on top of the Feywild. So, yeah, absolutely. And not to, you know, downplay Strickhaven by any means, but I'm really excited that one specifically. But also there's some controversy that we can talk about, too, as to why it might not have been received as well as perhaps expected and some of the changes that had to be made before the book did come out, which, uh, you know, obviously it's not out quite yet, but they did make that announcement. Um, And we'll talk more about that. I think we knew already about Wild Beyond the Witchlight and Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. We knew those were coming out um, even before D&D Live, but we really hadn't heard much about them yet i mean just kind of the idea that they were coming there was going to be some Feywild aspect to wild beyond the witch light and strixhaven was bringing in that magical school from magic the gathering that had been in a recent strixhaven. yeah um and then we we get this kind of surprise announcement of fisman's treasury of dragons and i was i knew there would be something else by the end of the year but i didn't think we'd get the announcement of it this soon and right right just kind of came out of nowhere and also happens to be one of my favorite parts of what got recently released yeah 
let's um but even go further too like the idea of like everything following van richten's guide right so close and then we just get an explosion of all these new things as well as a lot of changes and stuff changes that we'll talk about here today with individuals but yeah i'm actually really excited for all the recent books that have come out um so soon yeah i am too but i wonder if we're getting to a point where we're oversaturating ourselves with official content i don't know if they're maybe beginning to put too much out yeah that's a good point um i think at some point as well there was also a long drought so yeah. it's kind of like we had nothing and then like bam 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 and i feel like we're still in that cycle and it might just be them trying to get to a new status quo like how much is pumped out but uh, all the same i at the this point where i don't think we're quite there i think there's still a lot of areas to explore i'm more afraid of us getting too niched into certain areas that they keep working on versus you know building the world at large and i would agree um, with you there i think that part of the reason they're starting to put more out is there's been some rumor about whether or not a sixth edition was going to come out. And I think by putting out more and more 5e stuff, they're showing, no, we're sticking with what is working really well now, what has gotten us to the point where D and D is more popular than it ever has been. Oh yeah. They're capitalizing on this hype, especially one that, you know, it's been fueled by everyone being stuck at home and whatnot. It's probably the best it's been in a long time, but all the same, the whole idea of like 6e has been a rumor since like a year and a half ago. Right. There's like you can see YouTube videos of people like debunking it or talking about it. People who are like got leaks. And, and at some point, it's a matter of if they released all this and the next month announce a sixth edition, that's pretty messed up. Right. But all, all the same, I don't think it would actually end up helping them. So they're not in a position now because of what they've done to talk about a 6e exactly. because they need to continue the marketing engine of the you know 5e so i think we have a ways to go we're probably more of a second quarter next year if there's any 6e announcements and i think we're maybe even further away than that i think that they've got a so. good thing going and they figured out how to make some changes within the system without having to go into a completely new version and I think that's what we oh, see right. starting with Tasha's and going on through some of what we'll look at as we look at these books uh, with what we've seen so far. But we haven't really seen it yet. I mean, we haven't had these books in our hands. We really don't know everything they're going to do. But I'm really excited about the the Wild Beyond the Witch Light. I think that is going to be excellent. That's awesome because it's an exploration of the Fae Wild through and through as well as it can be you know placed anywhere to pull anyone in. Yep. Um, and I'm yeah, hoping no, – uh, that looks so awesome we get some some more ideas about archfey in there and from what i've seen with what they've talked about with the domains of delight being you know analogous to the domains of dread in ravenloft but ruled by an archfey that will get some kind of even if it's not stat blocks for specific archfey but tell you how to create an archfey and what that would look like and I think both of us have done that before on our own, but I like having something to build from, something to help kind of kickstart my thinking from. on that. Yeah. Right. And like, I, I I mean, just going through all the notes that they released on it officially and whatnot, I didn't see really any mention of that, but like I could still see them doing that. Absolutely. Right. Especially with the two new character backgrounds of Fae Loss and the Witchlight Hands. Um, those alone are kind of show this yeah. connection to like the natives and whatnot. And with that, probably new creatures, new, you know, um, just lore about the Fae Wild and then it's, the, you know, in thus probably the Arch Fae themselves. So that's really exciting. I absolutely want that because I'm with you. I'm not as keen on 
making up an archfey for my own imagination and trying to pull it into this world that I also don't know much about and hoping that my version's good enough and that the character's balanced enough. Um, where I'd rather have someone have that work done for me in a way, but right. also pull in a way that I can complement the world. Um, so archways are amazing, but also context is very important um, in fantasy worlds and easier to study your players if you have it. And I just really like the Feywild. You know, there are so oh, many right. things to pull out from that. And I, I love Celtic mythology and that, you know, British idea of the Fey folk and everything that comes into that. And so I'm excited probably more than anything else that's come out in the last couple of years about this book, because I want to see more about what those people who are working for wizards are building out in this area that really fascinates me. Well, yeah, especially, you know, kind of like we mentioned before, the antithesis of like the Van Richter's Guide. It's the opposite right. in, entirely. It's more lighthearted in that way, but still with the sinister, you know, twists and turns. I enjoy that quite a bit. One, I mean, I love Van Richter's, of course, but like having the Feywild built out in this way that also has a lot of adventures releasing with it. It's like levels one through eight, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already, you know, my own campaigns, I've run characters through the Feywild, but just seeing some of the pictures they released with oh, that yeah. book alone, I'm like, I want to take that back because I'm already inspired about what they're about to release. And the idea of this witch carnival that travels between it, yep. that's going to be amazing. I, those images blow my mind. And um, one of the other things, but the most important, uh, I was, well, I, so on that note too, like one last thing is the, my favorite part about this is one of the reasons I enjoy D and D so much when you can find players who also share the same value is this is one of the uh, adventures and whatnot that if you're clever and paying attention, you can complete the entire storyline that ships with the book without ever engaging in combat. And that was what I was just going to jump on too. I had a feeling, I had a feeling, you know, I've got friends and my wife in particular who don't enjoy playing mostly because of the combat aspects of it. They don't want to play characters that are killing things because that's not fun for them. And here's an adventure that I can run them through a whole entire book and they don't have to fight anything. And And I think that's fantastic. While they're doing it. Right. They're fantastic. Me too. That's my two favorite things about the recent three books. The, you know, of course, dragons are great, all that jazz, but humanoid rabbits, um, the herringon, as well as the owlin. Yep. These two new, like, you know, races that we get to explore and whatnot. And new races to me is like a new DLC for a game. It's a new way to play, new eyes to see yes. through, new things to do. And I'm like, I want to be a rabbit who's riding or perhaps talking anyway with uh, an owl and, you know, going through some adventure. That feels like the best form of fantasy in my world. Oh, yeah. I, that sounds amazing. Well, and I'm, I'm interested in what they end up doing with the fairy race as well, or the fairy ancestry as well, because yeah, I, I wish they give us more. I thought it was really interesting in the Unearthed Arcana was pretty good stuff, but I'm interested to see what they take from some of what I saw in the comments and people talking about the playtesting and see what their final version of it is, because there were some things that were just missing and some things that I'm hoping that they add in. You know, if I'm playing a fairy, it needs to be a tiny creature. It doesn't need to be small. Fairy's much smaller than a halfling. You know, what does it look like and how does that play out? And if if they end up going in that direction, because I think that's a fascinating character to play that's completely different than anything else that we have. 
Oh yeah, I think fairies are absolutely underrated in terms of D and D as a whole. So mm-hmm. I'm all right there with you, especially like any D like fairy you've played. Um, I mean, there's not really a lot of options there in the past, but they're generally like a familiar or whatnot where you get to play them by proxy or right. they, you know they're assistants of some sort, which is cool. But I think it'd be much cooler to just play the fairy, especially if you make these little badass warriors who can do all these things, right. and even if it's not fighting, but be able to manipulate and change things and have an influence. That would be really cool. Although you did say one thing that I now want the opposite of uh you said they're always like small i kind of now want a massive fairy because I, i'd imagine like a small fairy but what if it was as big as a dragon what would that look like and what problems to the you know the world would that cause as its wings flutter and start changing like wind currents yeah yeah i think that could be really cool <laughs> so <laughs> i was like i can't get that out of my head now yeah i think there's a lot of ways to look at this and i think once you have that ancestry there you can start playing with some of those other things and see how it all works and you know in if you even look at the ua it was a small creature that at times could shrink down so if you have this almost like ant-man creature that can be as tiny as this or jump up and be as big as you want it to be you know be as big as an ogre at times because it's this weird crazy fake creature could be the real ant-man exactly um (laughs) But yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that just sounds awesome, especially imagine too, like uh, you come across a house, you can go into a lock and perhaps just your size alone can break it open entirely because your size just compresses it and decompresses. Yep. Um, it feels like you, there's a lot more solutions offered to you, offered to you when you're in such unique circumstances to play a fairy with, you know, a modular set of ways you can appear and do and act. Like I already have a lot of adventures I could throw this into, and it's going to make that adventure way better. Oh, yeah. And speaking of, they released those uh, two, I think it was the Feywild adventures that kind of go along with Witchlight. I don't remember if they said they were going to be in it or not, but it was kind of like their preface to it. Like these adventures will kind of get you set up. It's like the hag and something. Um, let me go check that out real quick. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. It was yeah. like talking about pixie trouble as well as like as a pixie and the, going through the fake crossing and here's the checks about the tiny tricksters and the glades. Right. That felt like a really good headspace immersion. I haven't run through it, but in my head I could feel it. I'm like, oh, this place is going to be sick. I, I can't wait. Yes. Yeah. I, I, it's going to be really, really good. I, I'm, just, I'm really excited about that. And I think what's great is, is there's things that I'm excited about all of these books. And even yeah, though Strixhaven's coming out second, let's look at Bisbon's before we go into Strixhaven. So what are you most excited about what they've said so far about Fisbin's Treasury of Dragons? So I'm a bit of a, a lore buff. Yep. So I really like, you know, when they really do a deep dives into these pieces of lore, even if, you know, it's, it's like small details. But the one thing that really excites me when it comes to Fisbins is the mention, finally, in the reveal of the story of the first world, because we've had hints of that. Yeah. There's even like I think I hinted that, if I remember correctly, in Tasha's when I was reading it. Mm-hmm. And they've never really gone further. And if there is a first world we don't know about, well, I absolutely need to know about right. it. And so and it comes down to like the roles of Bahama and like Tiamat and how, you know, they played a role in the creation and the destruction. That sounds like a lot of rich information I could just eat up. So that's a, that's kind of where I sit with that. I know there's a lot of like new scaly beasts and, yeah. you know, the gem dragons, which is a really cool, uh, you know, ideology and concepts. But it's that first world that has me like, what is it? I need to know. Give me this book. I need to know. I think that's really cool. And then the other thing that I really liked in there were 
that idea that these particularly powerful dragons have echoes within different planes and bringing them together to become even more powerful. So, you know, you have this one dragon that has an echo in Faerun and Greyhawk and Dragonlance and all of these things that are coming together. That's a cool idea to me in thinking about even having a campaign where maybe the goal is to take down each of these echoes of this same beast throughout all of these different realms. You know, what does it look like to have a character that's from one realm jumping into all of these other ones, trying to take down this one particular beast? Yeah, no, I, especially again, like what that might do to that particular beast in some uh, manner, whether it's a sabotage its power or perhaps getting even more leverage over it. Um, but all the same, yeah, no, that the idea of echoes is fascinating. The idea is of like those echoes not necessarily just being the same form of the dragon. So you'd have to actually figure out what the echo is in that realm. That to me was like a further idea, you know, idea I had seen on a YouTube channel that was amazing to think about because it's like, what if that echo is pretending not to be him? Now you have to go on a whole quest to figure out who is the Echo. Just to get at your, you know, to Tiamat, let's say, which I don't think they'll let you kill Tiamat so easily. But all the same, yeah, no, I'm really excited for it, especially with that. But, and what all of this would mean for the first world, I'm sure that is tailored and, you know, layered in through all of it like they usually do. Um, but also when it comes to Kobolds, Dragonborn, what is this going to mean for them? Because I have Kobolds in both of my games, I have Dragonborns in both of my games. I really want to know what options this opens for them. It looks like from what I've seen people talking about and watching some of the stuff from D&D Live is the Dragonborn options from the UA are going to be in here, but the Kobold options aren't, which I kind of hate because I thought some of those Kobold options were really cool in the UA. So maybe they're yeah, saving they for something really else. Or, you know, or they're lying. Or maybe they came off as being too powerful. So who knows what they decided on that. But yeah, there's... But it ultimately, I mean, we really don't know until the book actually comes out. They're going to save something so that they're not going to give it all away in presentations at D&D Live or D&D Celebration or anything like that. Yeah, it's the special trick under their sleeve. Um, and I, I totally respect that. I, of course, want no, to know, too. but Absolutely. all the same, I feel like there's still a lot you can do between the Kobolds and the Dragonborn to give the benefit to both, even if there's not more Kobold options, because I'm kind of doing that with one of our characters currently, you know, a a seer, um, allowing him to kind of just walk a line between both and be seen by both in order to have that mean so much more than just, oh, Kobold, no connection to anything, Um, because that to me isn't as fun. And that's Um, But yeah, the gem dragons alone, yeah. He is. He's... He's got a lot coming, and I'm really curious to see how he evolves. But so far, I've been impressed every step of the way. He's really right. knowing how to play yeah. that character perfectly in a way that isn't traditional to kobolds. Like a stupid kobold right. or, you know, a one-track mind kobold. This is one trying to learn, and I'm already like, I am I'm oh, 100% yeah. on board. Show me more us here. And I think by the time that that book comes out, we're going to have some things that we can tie in. It's going to be like handing it to him and go find some stuff in here that's going to just jump out at him. And especially as you, know, you got this kobold and he's just overwhelmingly drawn to magic and so now we're going to be able to throw some more magic at him that's draconic and i think that's going to be a really cool thing to look at 
Oh, yeah. I mean, just especially wherever he's going to be at by then with his uh, current ties to, you know, say, dra- dragon gods of sorts. Right. Um, but even then, like the gem dragons, like what if that comes into some interplaying between gem dragons and you learn about, you know, the psionic ones? Somehow he had, right. finds this connection to a psionic dragon and now you get to meet a whole new Osir because he just met a whole new Osir. Right. Um, but all the gem dragons are really fascinating just because they don't follow traditional elements. Oh, yeah. Right, so they're like psionic, uh, solitary one. The, I think it's charismatic, if I'm not Yeah, right. I've got the um, the sapphire dragon. I wouldn't call it a mini because he's like this big that I bought <laughs> last year. A gigantic mini, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. And so, you know, they had they had released the stat blocks for that when they put that out for the anniversary. And they're and I mean, the only one that's been released. It yeah. is so cool. And so to think about what the word they're going to do with the rest of the gem dragons, I can't wait. That's going to be awesome. So Strixhaven, yeah. what do you what do you think about Strixhaven? So I guess I'm kind of back and forth on it. Um, admittingly, I really wanted those subclasses. Yep. But since they've had to pull them out because you know the UA testing and they just it was the ultimate decision that they weren't ready. I was a little disappointed by that because I felt like those subclasses really made those colleges matter so much more. Mm-hmm. But I'm. I'm still intrigued. I know a lot of people are against this idea of like, oh, I don't want to play college life. And also it's a Harry Potter reskin. Well, what if it is? I mean, Descent into Avernus plays and is kind of marketed as the Mad Max type of scenario. Right. It's not like they've ever not done stuff like that. But equally, so it's all about resonance. What resonates with the audience and what's easy for you to quickly understand, but also be immersed in fantasy world and make it your own. Yeah. Harry Potter itself isn't necessarily unique. And so on all the same ways, I think it'd be really fun to play like those young adult kids who aren't going to school to learn how to cast magic because that's not what this is. They've come to school to learn more about that magic. Right. So it can be casters and non-casters alike. That opens up a lot of realms that I think is really interesting. And I think there's so much really cool role play in this. And I mean, we've both seen some of the, for lack of a better word, whining online about this book. But Mm -hmm. I love that they're giving us mechanics for social interaction. Because there's so many times when you're trying to figure out how do I make this work? And so they're going to give us something to be able to play off of with those things. And I love that because that's one of my favorite parts of D&D is that social interaction. And so they're they're building out some of the other realms other than just combat. And I think what it comes down to is those that are like, oh, I don't want to role play magic school prom. I don't want to role play <laughs> having to balance class and adventuring. Right. They just want a dungeon crawl, which is perfectly fine if that's what you want to do. And there's a thousand more books for that. Exactly. Don't buy this book. Don't bring it into <laughs> don't bring right. it into if your table. Your book, don't buy it. it if it's not gonna help you. But I'm but I think it's great. I do too. And I think the whining though on that one comes from that it's a crossover, obviously. It's a you know branding bridge right. between Magic the Gathering and D&D. And so I think a lot of the people who make these complaints, from what I was kind of seeing, just looking further into it, a lot of them seem to be on the magic side of the spectrum. And they were more of like, this is how you're you're redoing this. Right. But like my my report on and you know, my retort to that would be like you had Ravnica. You already had your your version of you know the crossover and what tactics and monsters and creatures and fighting can be between Magic Gathering and D and D when they come together. This is just a 
all a whole new direction for you know D and D trying to be more story based, but also pull in the rich world that is Magic the Gathering. You know, with Strixhaven that was already a you know school of mages, and give us an option to play in a new setting that we're not used to. A literary university, it's right. college life. That actually is kind of new to D and D. Like yeah, we had Candlekeep and things like that, right. but. This is different. This is the the young adult themed version of it that's focused on story over tactics, and it's just a lot more accessible to I think to a lot more people, especially with the focus more in storytelling. Well, it's that's much easier for someone to do. I that. was thinking, like you know, with the character that I'm playing in our campaign right now with Ilfio. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I would love to go and take some of this, put it into Candlekeep, and play like the prequel where he's going to Candlekeep and we're dealing with some of these professors that we've talked about but haven't actually been there. I think that would be a fascinating, like... I had the awesome same thought, thing. actually. <laughs> you know? I was like, I feel like, yeah, you you take what we get from this, and I mean, there's a lot of new stuff between like 40 new creatures and 18 new NPCs, and then you just kind of combine that with Candlekeep and put them together and you'll have a full-on just a full on place. Right. Cause I feel like this completes what that one was missing. And it also helps build out the mechanics too, that would allow you to play through it in a more story based focus. So yeah, I had the same thought this morning. It was like, man, crap. Now I want to run that, you know, one shot or run right. that campaign just to have that experience. Exactly. There's just so many cool things in there. So, you know, even with the people that have been kind of complaining about, it, I think this is going to end up being a really popular book. I really like, this is one of the new ones, and I think they did it with two of the books, but the idea that it's socially focused, not just right. like you can do social. It is focused, and that's why it gives all these new mechanics for friends, jobs, etc. with the idea that, yes, D&D has combat, but if you're in college, combat might not be the right way to pass your test. Right. Therefore, here's all the social ways to go about it, which will also, you know, where you can pop this into a campaign, you can pop a lot of this out and pull it into your campaign. Exactly. So job system, etc. But at nighttime, you have to go save the world from whatever problem is happening. And it's literally like, do I miss a day of school and like not study for my test and kill a monster? Or do I you know, get better, stay a test and hope the monster's there or it doesn't cause problems? Right. And I feel like this is a great mixture of that because, I mean, that's as real life as any. Like, do you go to work and, you know, do your job or do you stay home to solve all the problems at home? And then what is our course? I feel like they're getting closer to the social element that is real life. And that will make it easier for a lot more people to understand how to do it. Cause we've all gone to school, right? I, I, I haven't so. seen a dragon, but I have in fact passed a test or skipped a class or cheated on a test just once all the same. <laughs> so which of these colleges do you think you fit in best or where oh, would you be? Fantastic question, my friend, but I do believe I asked you first. You did ask me first and I just <laughs> wanted to bring it back up again. Um, <laughs> Oh, it's good. You know, I would be one of those people because this is kind of what I did in college for real, where I'm trying to build my own kind of thing by picking and choosing classes from different places, whatever happens to be on the board that I'm interested in. And yeah, that was go with the flow and be adaptable. Right. Getting back to that kind of Harry Potter reskin. If I got to be sorted into a place, but then I right. can grab a few things from somewhere else probably um oh it's hard it's gonna be either silver quill or lore hold and i think for me personally probably lore hold with you know taking a lot of those silver quill classes so we are very much the same 
because that's the same two I came down to. Like really? the rest of them are cool. I, I do like how they oh, read, yeah. what like their their focus, the dedication. But it's kind of like this idea of mixing like the uh, you know the ancient histories, the converting of ancient spirits, the unknown, the ancient lore text lost to us that you know perhaps you can uncover on top of being well sharpening styled and sharper wit, being able to be the you know lyrical genius or the charismatic fool who happens right. to actually know quite a bit, the scholar of sorts. And I felt like Silver Quill and um, when it comes to, like Lorehold, somewhere between those is the core of my identity. Right. Um, well, that's. It, I just don't know what the base would be because I feel yeah, like it'd be like, silver quill. I talk a lot. So what's interesting with this book is, you know, if you listen to what they were saying at D and D Live, you know, instead of moving to the new classes or the new subclasses, they move to these feats and are speaking of having any class be able to be used within this. So you can have a rogue yeah. that is part of Silver Quill that has got whatever feat goes along with that and whatever magic comes along with that feat that fits exactly with what you just said. And I love that there is this sense of, you know, you can put a fighter in this, you can put a rogue in this, you can put a cleric in this, <laughs> even if it doesn't seem to quite fit at first. You can work right. to make it fit. And I think it just goes into understanding that at your table, your Strixhaven or your whatever school you're going to call your school is yours and doesn't have to flow exactly what Magic the Gathering said it was or what it is in even the book. When it comes to me, whatever I put into my world, it has to be somehow mine or else I feel like it's not me speaking. It's not right. fun for me to play. No, it's absolutely. not fun for me to give you. I can't give you something that's not mine, that yeah. type of thing. Um, so like, when it comes to that one, too, kind of going back to comment you said previously, like, yeah, you're a rogue and you can go into these classes. I do enjoy it's probably college level or younger. So you might not be the best rogue ever. Right. But that doesn't mean you can't pick up skills along the way to become such. So I feel like exactly. this is a great, that early on resource that, I mean, there's not a lot of that going on in most D&D worlds anyway. Um, I've never run people through like a high school to a university and then say, now you have a chance to be a hero if you wish. Right. Um, now that you have the fundamentals, the STEM system of the D&D, you know, culture. Right. Well, I but think that I, would be that would be think about cool, it. though, if you think about it. You know, maybe... Standardized education. You're going through levels one through three in this kind of classroom-esque setting and you're mm -hmm. kind of building up and you're you're gaining some skills and you're doing this and then you're out in the world or even one through four you know and oh, yeah. you're jumping out into the world with some skills but you've had some things along the way almost like you've had an internship or something going on with all of these things and there's so many real world parallels that you could add into this and build out something really interesting and do some really cool world building with it. And we've already talked about this with all three of these books, but that's my favorite thing is to take it and get some ideas and then build on that and mold it and shape it and change it into something that is wholly different than what they gave me. That's why I love in here, just the mechanics of doing all this even more yeah. than the setting itself. Yeah, and I think that's like what it has to be too. It's like, yeah, this is a a place that you can go and do all these things with these NPCs, but like at the baseline, it's a set of tools that you can now incorporate anywhere to get that same effect. Yeah. Regardless if you're playing at Strixhaven or you're playing at like Graden a University or something like that, it's up to you. Um, but I really do like the idea too of like 
run a one through three through a school and it's kind of like the coming of age into the chance to be a hero based on what you learned but i really am in, like intrigued by you know the paradigms of being at school so like mm-hmm. they have a system here not of just like your friends and your betrothed and you know things like that but equally so rivals they have rival right. like a way to track that as well as a way of tracking bullies and things of that nature you can cheat get caught principal's office I feel like all of those systems, I mean, it literally is high school. Yeah. But being able to play that in a role-played fantasy setting, like now you can go into that full, uh, what was that, uh, Dimension 20. He did like the D&D high school of sorts. Right. And like the staff themselves, a couple of teachers were like highly corrupt. And, they, you know, but they went to school. It was normal until they started to learn more about everybody. But I really was fascinated by that because a lot of it was just talking. Play your characters, go to school. If you get in trouble, you, well, principal's office. Right. And then you have to talk to him, and he might like this character and not that one because he's tired of seeing that one. Things like that. So, yeah, no, I think Strixhaven has a lot of potential if you play it right, but you can't yeah. look at it as just a, it's a Harry Pottery skin because it's so much more. How do we make an NPC feel like a real character in the story? And I think the main thing is, you know, thinking about writing or even as an actor playing a character who may have a smaller part in the story, Mm -hmm. you have to think of that person as a real person who has values and who has wants and needs. And if you're putting that down, if you're thinking about that NPC, it doesn't mean you have to spend days and days on this whole person's whole backstory. But oh, even right. if it's just it in those few moments, you know what they want, you know what they need, you know kind of how they would go about getting it. And that's what begins to give you that rounded character that's going to be interesting and memorable. Absolutely. That's that's exactly it. Every like NPC themselves should have a goal, should have a motive, um, because that gives them momentum. Momentum makes you real in this world. Like knowing that they were going to do this regardless of your interaction with them. That's just what they were focused on, um, as well as like fears and things like that. These are like the things that you can understand about somebody and then also bring them alive. It's no different than when you introduce your own character to your group. It's right. just that like I'm on a pursuit to get the holy quest. Okay, well, this, uh, you know, goblin, you know, uh, cart seller or whatever is on a pursuit to make money because they live in a very crappy condition and they need money and things aren't going well, but they want to survive. And they also have a lot of hope because despite everything, they think they can overcome all the odds. And so you start to understand them. They're just kind of like a little warrior, a little engine that could. And now you will never forget them, especially if you talk to them and then they start giving you kind of their philosophy in life and they want this, but they have to do that because of, you know, flaming fists. I think you right. can hear who I'm referencing here. Exactly. Um, but yeah, even to the point of he has a name for himself, but he can't go by it. And so it's kind of like he wants justice in some way. And so I feel like those are the little things that make him real. And the way I go about it is imagine if that person was in fact real in front of me. And as I'm talking to them, how do I understand them? And then also feel like they have helped tell the story, but also helped tell the environment. Right. And I think that's really important because, like, a, a crazy, awesome NPC that is very real it might not make sense in one location versus another. And so that's a that's more of an advanced topic. But I do feel like that's an important one to broach eventually because, um, like, you have, say, this, you know, captain of the guard and whatnot who's going to defend his city might have a harder time making sense, perhaps, in some dungeon somewhere where he's off just looting it. Right. And it's like, well, OK. 
great character, wrong place. Unless it's a matter of he got kidnapped and you have to tie that back into the story. Like, I can't wait to get back to my city. Well, okay, right. now you have something. Um, but yeah, so even with that, I take great pride in knowing I got that same effect. Uh, a little bit of humble brag, perhaps, but with uh, Brosden, my politically incorrect but trying to be correct uh, homeless man who was able to tell Veer and his own titles and perceptions of the world um, how to do it right, even if he doesn't know how to be politically right. right. So instead it came down to things and onions, but he was adamant. And I was like, that tells you who he is. And before you talked to him, he was just another homeless guy in a homeless village. Right. Chilling. He didn't even exist. And after the fact, everyone knows his name. But I think what's interesting, too, is thinking about before you introduce that character, how is he or she going to go in, he, she, they, going to go mm -hmm. in and fit in with the party that you're playing with. So right. are they going to be a, an antagonist? Do they fit into the mix somehow where, you know, even if they're not going to invite them along to travel with them in that moment, they feel kind of a gap that's that missing within the relationships in that party or, you know, are they just going to be weird and off putting to all of those characters? Like, the dwarf at mm -hmm. the the shop and his strange ways of doing sending spells, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. But and then like, he's one of those characters too. Like you were saying about that, it really comes down to, does this character even jive with the group or is it someone mm -hmm. they'll care about? And perhaps they won't. And maybe that is the intent of the character. Exactly. Elsewise, it might just be, you missed a mark, but you can still adapt and change as need. Kind of like, you know, it's, it's pencil. You just, change it with you know what you see them wanting versus your expectations and then you roll with it um but right. with him he was a very cranky kind of crappy dwarf again his position he wasn't a seller he was not a vendor he was filling in someone's shoes right so he wasn't doing his job well and he didn't like you disturbing him while he was failing at his job exactly and that was but a great character but i think you knew coming in that it wasn't going to be the character that everybody was going to grasp onto and want to keep coming oh, yeah. back to. But at the same time, very memorable and some very interesting moments in the campaign through that. And uh, absolutely. And I've done or the Axios. same thing where I've had those characters that I knew filled a purpose and were interesting, but I knew nobody was going to grapple on to them and, and stay with them. But then what, what eats me is when I spend time on a character, I've got an NPC that I've spent time on and mm. I think they're really cool. And everybody else I'm playing with, like that guy just gets left behind. Yeah, on the, like, <laughs> the first NPC, they just abandon, they walk away from it. Right. That is in 15 years. And for everyone, I've done this for 15 years. Any NPC I've spent more than 30 minutes on has always died, been abandoned or was even shit on in some respects. <laughs> So, and that actually happened, well, actually, like, the last, uh, and so I have two campaigns, and both campaigns, last session, that happened to an NPC I took that leap of faith on. I'm like, I'm just going to make someone who's just generally uh, just awesome, just cool to me, fantastic, he's going to be quirky and all that. Well, last session, we have a guy named Veer who set him up on fire before he even had a chance to be interacted with. <laughs> and I had to play the entire session with him on fire 
and then dying, and then his best friend mourning his loss, which was really me mourning his loss, because uh, even then I had to even move his name and replace it last second to something very um, imaginative. Uh, perhaps you've heard of it called Jerry, but that was not his name. I just didn't want ruining the chance to actually use that character elsewise since you burnt him alive. Right. But all the same, yeah, no, that happens all the time, and so you should... Try to write quality characters, NPC characters that, you know, meet a certain standard and also believable, but don't go and make them so real that you have their whole backstory. Leave like a lot of the backstories to your characters and right. characters that matter, of course, because um, like, you know, in uh, Avernus and Baldur's Gate, Rhea Mantelmore has a backstory, but that's that's fine. She helps tell that story for what it's worth. And yeah, even then, I still rewrote it all the same. It didn't even survive a DM running their module. So right. if that can happen, it can happen to anybody. Um, so I leave that for like the big bad guy. He always has a backstory. He's intricate. He has a lot of you know layers and whatnot. But when it comes to the homeless man, it, it's I can fit that on a note card who he was. I exactly. just knew who he was, and that's all that mattered. Because someone who's believable is someone you kind of just get. Right. If and you I have to you learn just, everything else, you don't. I think you just hit the nail on the head there with you know how do you make believable NPCs? You need to know who they are. Right. I think if you don't you have to improv as them. Exactly. If you don't have that sense of knowing who they are, then they're just not going to come off as realistic people. Well, they'll feel like there's someone who don't know their own identity. They'll switch between talking this way to that way or, you know, they can't really sit on anything. They become like this indecisive, undefined character. And right. sometimes that can be a purpose, but you still have to play that character right. Exactly. Elsewise, it will not come across right. Um, like that dwarf. He was a character that was a little bit, you know, wishy-washy. He was in a role that wasn't his, so he had to learn that identity, and he never really did. But he was also a fiend for drugs and whatnot because that's how he got over all the shit happening. And so I had, like, five bullet points. That's all I needed to know about him, and I just needed an environment he lived in. And from there, you all figured it out. Right, right. Unfortunately, in some ways, that were more hilarious than you probably wanted. But all the same, I thought that was a fantastic display of a character that I knew you wouldn't like. At first. Right. But if you give him a chance or he has a chance, you will then see, oh, he's a disabled man. He's just going out of his mind with cabin fever in a city that's going to hell. Right. Okay, you might understand some of the quirkiness now. Yep. Um, and he was a friend all the same. Fantastic character. Do you ever think about, do you ever feel bad about leading 250 kobolds to their death to kill one giant? Uh. I mean, I didn't really lead them anywhere. I see, I mean, I'm, I may have had some level of influence on that, maybe. Um, I mean, clearly you, you, you talked them into it. You said, how about dive bobbing off of this into that giant's face? I never said dive bombing, come on. But I I may have promised them a nice sword that they can take with them on the fall. Kobolds, it, it's, it is not my fault. If they didn't know, they wouldn't survive, okay? I, I'm, but, can I really be held accountable for that? But did you even give them the sword? No. I just showed them where the armory was. And then you pointed them in the direction of the giant. Okay, to be fair, we're on a floating castle. Any direction I pointed would have killed them. 
I at least made them productive. Sort of. On some level, it feels like you just made friends with them to lead them to do that? Huh. A little confused. I mean, I killed I killed the giant, right? Like, oh, don't you generally... You like, killed uh, the giant in the most epic way I've ever seen a giant die. You're welcome. And I am Lindir Shatterstar, Giant's Bay, and I've seen giants die. Well, that makes two of us. I've also seen one talk giants out of fighting just by saying... Hey, you're our friends. I mean, I couldn't really talk to the giant. It was pretty far down there. Um, but I imagine a kobold said hi or something on the way down. They were pretty nice kobolds. They probably did. Were they? Yeah, uh, great guys. Had a few drinks with them in my room. Something, something was always weird with them. They always kept staring at me. But then again... You all kind of do. Is it the blood? It's, it's the blood and, and the horns and, and just knowing that you're talking with meth all the time, so why would we not wonder what's going on? Okay, that's fair, yeah. Huh. Either way, I gotta get to writing these cards for all the families of those kobolds. I don't want to, but Gracchus is making me. That sound like something Gracchus would do. Yeah. Dumb robot. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you will join us next week as our host, Nilo and Justin, tell you all of the news coming out about Dungeons and Dragons, a little bit about how to run a session zero, and even more about Wild Beyond the Veachlight. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs>